0: Welcome to Global Minnesota podcast, connecting, informing and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org.
1: Hello everyone. And thank you for joining us for our special Global Minnesota program today, Investing in Africa, new opportunities in mining through the African continental free trade area. We're really pleased to be partnering today with the African Diaspora Development Institute, Cozen O'Connor Law Firm, and Minnesota Africans United, our special partner in what will be a series of webinars looking at what are those opportunities in Africa, in mining, thanks to this new fabulous Continental-Wide Free Trade Agreement. My organization, Global Minnesota, has been around for about 70 years connecting Minnesotans to the world and the world to Minnesota. We're able to put on these programs for free, reaching the whole planet, thanks to the generosity of our members who support us each and every year, and a number of companies, nonprofits, agencies, and others who support us organizationally as well. If you'd like more information about Global Minnesota, uh, you can go uh, visit us at our website. We would love to welcome you into our family of members, and your support would help also make these kinds of programs available to everybody. And in this COVID pandemic period, we truly are reaching the whole planet. Today's program grew out of a conversation. Um, Our consulate here in Minnesota of the uh, country of Ethiopia. Um, The ambassador who served as the head of that consulate um, came to us at Global Minnesota and said, look, uh, in Ethiopia, we have a very large mining sector. We've just passed a new responsible mining uh, regulation. We wanna find more partners who are community-minded, social-minded, broad-minded, global-minded. Minnesota has a very large mining sector. Uh, Is there a way that we can begin sharing that information and finding new ways to collaborate? And it's very true, Minnesota has many resources, many companies, many skilled people, universities, academics. Um, Our history of mining, we're the largest in iron ore and and, uh, related taconite mining in the country. But our um, links and connections are only now beginning to be developed more deeply while individual companies, and you'll be hearing from some of our finance companies from our whole region, Minnesota and Iowa and our Midwestern region, um, we've begun to see this as a way that in the future, we can build new, deeper, and long-lasting, mutually beneficial economic relations in this very important sector. One of our great partners in this work and developing and deepening it, um, Minnesota Africans United is one of the organizations of Minnesota that really helps to bring together the entire diaspora community. And I want to welcome my friend and partner, um, the President of Minnesota African United, Basil Azul, to give some opening words and to introduce us into this conversation, into this topic.
0: Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for this uh, wonderful uh, introduction. And before I begin, I want to say hello to my fellow members of Africans, immigrants who are actually here uh, in, in Minnesota, helping to advance Minnesota economic prosperity. My name is Basila Joe. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Minnesota Africans United. On behalf of myself and Mark Ritchie, President of Global Minnesota, will welcome you to our webinar, Investing in Africa, New Opportunities in Mining by the African Continental Free Trade Area. Last year, Mark and I met through our connections with greater MSP. We soon realized that our organizations, Minnesota Africans United and Global Minnesota are two organizations in Minnesota that are dedicated to connecting Minnesotans to the world and the world to Minnesota. Specifically, Minnesota Africans United is working to provide a way for diaspora African professionals living here in the United States, living here uh, especially in Minnesota to support American companies who want to invest in Africa. We do so by providing resources that create sustainability within the investment process. Among many uh, talents, Minnesota Africa United has business advisory board members that are accomplished experts in business to offer innovative advice and dynamic perspective in the investment process in Africa. Recently, due to the impact of COVID-19 and the challenges that Talented African immigrant professionals and businesses in our community face, Minnesota Africans United has focused on building two databases, one of which is a professional database, and the other one is a business database. The professional database is a resource for our educated, motivated, talented African professionals in search of employment. Many of these professionals have affiliations back with their home countries in Africa. They have connections with their embassies here in the United States of America, which could be useful for Minnesota businesses who are looking to expand to Africa. Our business database is a resource for African businesses in Minnesota who are looking to establish presence internationally in Africa. Minnesota Africans United, will continue to age companies who are interested in working with African immigrant professionals and businesses to take advantage of our resources. Now, I I looked at Minnesota, Global Minnesota that has 70 year old community organization. We saw them as big organization that host free to the public educational events to help Minnesotans learn more about the world and to get them more deeply engaged in international activities, including trade, tourism, hospitality, and education. Since the newly ignited African coordinator free trade area will open opportunities for mutually beneficial partnership between Africa and U.S. based companies, there is no better time for Minnesota Africans United and Global Minnesota to partner and share just how valuable this would be to both continents. Mark and I decided to host a series of webinars focused on trade and investment experiences and opportunities between companies in Minnesota and across Africa. The first of these series of webinars, which is today, is focused on the country of Zambia. Zambia is in the southern central region of Africa and is known as an African country with a major stake in the mining sector. And this afternoon, we will hear from distinguished speakers uh, uh, from the country of Zambia and many more. And once more, I'm thanking you all for this uh, wonderful opportunity to talk about our partnership uh, with uh, Global Minnesota, and thank you.
1: thank you very much and thank you for thinking about the ways that Minnesota and Africa can be mutually supportive. And that's the thing about trade. It's a two-way street and this is a big opportunity. We're gonna start today with uh, a company that's a very special company in in the history of Minnesota. It's, it's a technology company that has done many different things. And um, Donaldson Corporation is a good, strong, uh, sponsor and member of Global Minnesota, and um, they have a a very uh, significant business in Africa, in the mining sector, Uh, and we're going to be hearing about how that came about and uh, the success of that and some of the specifics to help folks in this country see how this is possible. Uh, Bart Dreesen is the representative from Donaldson today. Bart, thank you so much for being with us today, and I turn the microphone over to you. Thank you, Mark. Thank
2: you so much. So uh, I think I'm sharing my screen now. Is that right? Does it work well?
1: Not yet. Now it's good. All right. Okay. Okay.
2: Very good already. Good start. So thank Mark and uh, good morning or uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'm very happy to be here and to talk about our great company, Donaldson company. So my name is Bart Threason. Um I am working from our headquarters in Belgium, which are the headquarters for Donaldson EMEA. And I'm the director of the engine business unit, uh, one of our uh, large business units in the company. So just a little bit about our company. Who are we? So we're a global leader in filtration industry. And in fact, we've been around for a while. Um, Donaldson was founded in uh, 1915 by Frank Donaldson. So for more than 100 years already, we are uh, solving filtration solutions and typically complex filtration solutions um, um, or filtration problems and contamination problems. As you already said, Mark, we're a technology-led company, so we have research and development centers across the globe in the Americas, Asia, and Europe. A lot of technical labs, um, very proud to own more than 1,800 active patents and globally present, 46 manufacturing facilities. um, And with a team of 14,000 employees, we built deep and long-standing customer relationships. Um, We serve customers in uh, diversified markets. Um, And now my slide is supposed to advance, which is not happening, I think. Uh, Do you see a next slide? Probably not. So okay i'll just keep going then so we serve customers in diversified markets and industries of course in mining that's why i'm here today Uh, but next to mining also uh, agriculture construction aerospace food and beverage manufacturing and transportation Um, you will not always see our products and technologies but they are at work in hundreds of ways in bulldozers in hearing aids in airplane cabins or in a grain processing facilities. If we talk about mining um, and Africa, we have directly invested in Africa. In fact, in South Africa, since a long time, for 54 years ago, uh, we started uh, producing manufacturing in South Africa. So we have a manufacturing facility and a warehousing Cape Town and Johannesburg. We also support communities with uh, many initiatives like sharing science and technology with universities, supporting local communities, or funding cancer research. But I want to pick out a great example of supporting uh, local communities related to the African markets. Um, because in South Africa, we uh, participate in the broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Program. Uh, many of you uh, will know it as uh, B, BBB, the E Program. And this has been a company choice. It's an integration program launched by the south african government to reconcile south africans and and redress the inequalities of the past particularly the funding that we do is for uneducated young females who previously would not have had access to education mining is one of donaldson's key markets critically important um, so we supply Uh, For example, process filters and industrial filtration into processing plants. But since the start of the company back in 1915, we have specialized in filtration in heavy duty markets, typically in high contamination environments. We sell through distribution and uh, in in one of the slides that I have, and I think now it is advancing, very good. Um, So I wanted to visualize on this slide, our distribution in Africa. So the the, the yellow dots are all our distributors in EMEA, more than 600 in fact. Uh, But you can see on the slide that uh, a large majority of this distribution is in Africa. And many of those distributors are focusing on mining in the African markets. So for for just an example, we have close relations uh, with with mine sites and mining companies like uh, Anglo America Vali, Glencore, uh, Sassel, and also in Lib- in, uh, in Zambia, like uh, Liquid Rock or Beric, uh, just some examples. On this slide, and this is uh, how I wanna conclude my, uh, uh, my talk here, I wanted to show an example of an application, really a mining application. This is a dump truck, um, and I think the slide explains why it is so important uh, to us. This is uh, really very, very heavy duty equipment and machinery and such a, such a piece of equipment can have up to 24 filters on it. So with that, I wanted to conclude my presentation, my short presentation here. Mining is critical to Donaldson company. And if there is time, I'm of course uh, open to receive any questions uh, from the audience.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bart. And there will be questions. And um, thank you for showing us. This has obviously been a very successful part of Donaldson's business over time and, uh, you know, clearly you have used your technology leadership position to be part of, you know, what's really one of the most important economic sectors of our country, of Africa as a whole continent, and clearly uh, for the company that you're working for. So um, thank you for joining us from Belgium and I feel fortunate I had the ability to live there for one year. So. We could talk about that again later. Um, Our next uh, speakers, we're we're having uh, two uh, very, very uh, experienced leaders from the Vermeer company. It's based in Pella, Iowa, but is a global company. And um, we're really thrilled to have Daryl Bootkamp and Chris Dana. Uh, They are uh, two of the key people that have helped build Vermeer's very successful business Um, in Africa, and I'm just thrilled that they could be with us here today. I think from Iowa and from uh, another part of the Midwest, I think, and um, I don't remember who's going to go first, but I'm going to turn the microphone over to both of you.
3: Sounds great, Mark. I'll uh, actually take it from here. So thanks for the introduction. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for allowing us to speak with you today about some of the efforts that Premier Corporation is doing to support the African continent. My name is Chris Dana and I support Vermeer Corporation's global distribution efforts as what we refer to as a channel advancement manager. And what that means is that really my primary responsibility is to support Vermeer dealers and their growth initiatives outside of the United States and Canada. Over the next few minutes, I'm gonna introduce you to our distribution partner for Sub-Saharan Africa, and that being a company called Vermeer Equipment Suppliers. And then I'll turn things over to my colleague, Daryl Baukamp, and he's going to take you through some of the more macro-level initiatives we're involved in to help support economic growth on the continent. So if you don't mind clicking once, Vermeer Equipment Suppliers itself was founded in 2004 and is responsible for many of the countries that make up the region known as Sub-Saharan Africa. Currently, the company is supporting a number of projects in countries such as South Africa, Namibia, Kenya and Nigeria, just to name a few. In this picture, the two gentlemen centered in the picture are what we would call our boots on the ground partners. Mr. Frank Beardheiss, whom is actually an expatriate from the Netherlands who owns the business Vermeer Equipment Suppliers and then his chief operating officer, a South African native, Mr. David Collette. To their right are four of the Vermeer family shareholders, including at the far left as you're looking at this picture, Mr. Bob Vermeer, who is actually the son of our uh, company founder, Gary. And Bob actually served as CEO uh, for Vermeer for a number of years as well. And to Frank and David's right, you're actually seeing myself and another one of Daryl and my colleagues, Jill Blanco. Jill is Vermeer Corporation's global finance manager. One of the things I wanted to touch on, uh, part of the efforts we've put into really focusing on our activities in Sub-Saharan Africa and driving for growth in this part of the world. Jill and I, the reason you see us pictured here, we're actually on the board of directors for Vermeer Sub-Saharan, Vermeer Equipment Suppliers, Sub-Saharan Africa. And what that does is that makes sure that we keep that tight connection with our distribution partner, spend that time inside of their business and really get to know what's happening there on the continent. If you advance forward one, here, you're going to see a picture of our team that bases out of Johannesburg, and this would include our primary sales team, our service group, and all of our support team members, as well as the administrative staff. So, of course, normally, Joe and I would get down to Johannesburg once or twice a year to spend time with this group, and needless to say, it's been a tough year for us not being able to travel and see all of these great people face-to-face. If you go forward to the next slide, and before I turn things over to Daryl, what I thought I would do is just uh, mentioned to you a few of the things that we've learned doing business on the African continent all these years. So go ahead and click to the, so the three photos come up and this really sums up some of the key lessons we've experienced. So first the, the photo on the left uh, is our in country sales representative for Nigeria and he's standing next to one of our horizontal directional drills that's working in Lagos. And so you ask yourself, what can I learn from this picture? Well, for us, what we've done when it comes to implementing Vermeer equipment on the African continent is we focused on what can't be done by hand. So in Nigeria, our focus is on the work that can't be done by manual labor, such as this drill here is doing an underground under-road utility crossing. So areas where digging with shovels and more simplified methods are possible We often recognize and acknowledge there are more manual ways of performing the work. There's a workforce available to do it. And we don't get as involved in those areas where manual work can actually perform, uh, maybe not as efficient, but just as well as as what we can do. Now, in areas like road crossings, where we know that we can't have that road shut down, that's where our sales team will come in and say, here's an alternative solution and start talking about uh, some of the different things that we can bring to the table. The middle photograph is one of our terrain levelers. Uh, So these are the machines that you see in surface mining applications throughout the world. And currently we have units operating both in active mining sites, but then also we support in road maintenance uh, for those roads that are coming in and out of the mining sites. The thing to understand here for units of this size and the level of speciality of the work that they do, our experience has been patience is of the essence. The sales process for a machine like this is often measured in years and it involves taking the time to mix education with demonstration and then your traditional sales efforts in order to bring a unique concept of doing work onto the African continent. And then lastly, the picture on the right is one I took of Daryl when he and I were in Nigeria just this last May and the message here is really simple. When we're all able to safely travel again, you have to experience the African continent firsthand. This is the best way to meet the people who are amazing, see the opportunities with your own eyes, and further develop your strategy to support this growing market opportunity. And with that, Darrell, I'm gonna turn things over to you.
4: All right, well, thank you, Chris. and. Um, uh, a big thank you, too, for uh, Mark and Basel and, Basil and uh, your efforts in organizing this uh, event. And uh, a good afternoon, good morning to everyone. Um, my name is Darrell Baukamp, and I look after the government relations uh, for Vermeer Corporation. I've been here for 30 years, and a good share of that was uh, spent in developing the developing markets around the world for Vermeer. And then for the last number of years, uh, engaging in our government relations uh, globally as well, to just support and sometimes to remove obstacles to business. Uh, But um, I just want to take a couple moments to to maybe mention two different things. One is about how we partner with the US government in a number of ways uh, to to bolster the the business environment uh, in the continent and then also to share some ways in which uh, Vermeer has uh, utilized and continues to use the resources of the U.S. government because in Africa, regardless of country, uh, the U.S. government needs to be a partner of yours. You need to build relationships not only with commercial partners uh, but certainly also uh, with the U.S. government. Uh, And so I'd just like to share a few things. The slide that's before you uh, is um, one from the President's Advisory Council on Doing Business in Africa, uh, or to shorten it with an acronym, it's the PAC-DBIA. Now, this is an organization made up of 26 member companies. Uh, it was recommended from the President's Export Council, which Vermeer also served under uh, for five years with President Obama. Uh, we were put on this council uh, some years ago as well uh, to serve as, as an advisory company uh, to the Secretary of uh, commerce and also to the president. And it looks after policy and policy implications uh, to build a stronger two-way uh, trade investment pathway uh, to Africa. Um, so just a few things there. Um, we, uh, th- this is one key way in which the U.S. private sector engages with the government to promote a better environment uh, in Africa. And uh, in, in relationships are, are very, very key. It's not necessarily an easy continent to do business with, but there are very concrete ways in which the public and private sector can cooperate uh, to make that relationship stronger and the business environment better. And we've been very, very pleased with how uh, the US government uh, and especially with the PAC-DBIA and then one of its recommendations to start the Prosper Africa initiative and how that has uh, proceeded. Um, again, a, a complete all of government interagency effort uh, to, uh, to bolster the relationship, the important relationship with Africa, and uh, to promote two way trade and investment. Uh, this particular slide uh, shows a keys to success uh, report that was uh, uh, requested by the Secretary of uh, Commerce, uh, 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 Wilbur Ross, uh, for earlier this year. And I just wanted to share a couple things uh, regarding it. So if we can go to the next uh, slide. Uh, so the 26 member companies put together a report. And this was from small, medium and large uh, companies that represent really all sectors of the US economy. And we set out to um, say what has been successful and also what has been, have been some lessons learned or even sometimes where we have failed and admitting to those in this, uh, in this particular uh, report. Uh, so um, we can go to the next slide. And I just wanna show you an example of uh, one of the anecdotal stories from Vermeer that is shared uh, in the report to the US government and then shared to the private sector across the United States as well. Uh, some years ago, uh, just a few years ago actually, uh, we were busy in uh, supporting mining in the country of uh, Guinea and um, the Ghanaian government changed its uh, customs requirements, which made the U.S. export declaration documents illegal. Um, it was, it, we, they were requested to be shared with the Ghanaian government. That's illegal by U.S. law. And so we had a very large uh, parts shipment in the port of Conakry. Uh, waiting to support our mining machines in the country and we couldn't import them because they had changed the law. Uh, So we called our US Export Assistance uh, Director and right away they got in touch with the ambassador uh, in country. The ambassador uh, went to bat for us with a customs director uh, in country and we got those parts released. And then the Department of Commerce acted as a quarterbacking function to work with other agencies and with the Ghanaian government To develop new documents that were mutually uh, acceptable to both of our countries uh, so that U.S. exporters and uh, investment investors as well could again do business with the country. So Vermeer just happened to be at the point of the spear on that one, but we quickly engaged with the U.S. government. They in turn uh, quickly collaborated with the Ghanaian government to uh, generate new types of documents that both of our countries accepted and we were able to move forward. So I mentioned that and we put it in the report because it's not a matter of if uh, but when you will need uh, support like this uh, from the U.S. government. And I just then want to share a few other ways in which, you know, we have utilized uh, the the resources of the U.S. government that I think are helpful for investors and exporters from the United States. First in the area of market development. Uh, we, uh, over the years, have you know, been involved in so many, uh, like, like this, participating in educational programs and networking events, uh, specifically on Africa. Uh, we've used a lot of the governmental reports. We've called uh, Department of Commerce and other agencies uh, many, many times. Um, and we have used Commerce Gold Key Services not typically to find uh, distributors. Uh, Chris Dana does a great job in looking for them. Occasionally, we look for uh, uh, Vermeer dealers in that way. But more often, we use that program or things like it to connect uh, with decision makers on the ground. Uh, It's unusual that our dealerships would know all the decision makers that are involved in a transaction or an opportunity. And there's no one like a US Embassy and the Foreign Commercial Service people in them especially the indigenous uh, folks from the country who know and have relationships with uh, the local companies. And so they arrange meetings for us and that is just so instrumental uh, in our success. Um, We also get involved with the U.S. government in the transactional stage. So as we've developed the market and now have uh, start to develop a portfolio of sales opportunities or exchanges, Um, They help us on protecting and closing and then financing uh, deals. So we always recommend, uh, especially if sales or any investment or sales transactions related to uh, their governments, uh, that you uh, register those with the Advocacy Center of the Department of Commerce. It's free to register things, and that way you have uh, the U.S. government uh, also with helpful eyes on any transactions such that if there was any Thing that ever uh, was was deemed to be inappropriate, uh, you can draw upon their capabilities to directly engage with that particular government. Um, we also like uh, the, uh, the Trade and Development Agency's feasibility study program. For us, in the mining area, for example, we always have to we, we oftentimes have to demonstrate, and so to have a feasibility study a program like this where the TDA can gather together the customer. Us and potentially a third-party partner to do a, uh, a subject matter report uh, can be very, very helpful, and they can offset some of those expenses that are very expensive in doing demonstrations and mobilization of those opportunities. We've engaged uh, the Export-Import Bank before, Exim Bank, uh, to finance or to guarantee uh, U.S. banks in financing uh, equipment uh, to the continent. And then again, I just want to mention, you know, again, the embassy's capabilities to bring people together. This time in the transactional stage, if we close, uh, they can do what's called a single, um, single company promotion where they can bring the parties together, maybe even at the ambassador's residence, and do an event and invite uh, all the stakeholders to uh, the, uh, the event and the press as well, and just lend a lot of credibility. Uh, to celebrate that event and credibility then to your company and uh, product. Uh, And then just thirdly and broadly in building the business climate in Africa, uh, I think this is a way we feel as a company, we need to be engaged. And that's the reason we've been willing to be uh, pac DBIA members, and uh, be involved in other efforts like this with the U.S. government. Uh, Whether we're supporting Prosper Africa as an advisory uh, company uh, or Uh, promoting uh, programs like TDA's uh, Global Procurement Initiative where they really work with uh, procurement officials from various African states and and, uh, helping uh, to transition from a least cost type of procurement uh, program to a value-based lifecycle program, which is extremely important for quality um, uh, equipment uh, like ours. So we feel we need to be engaged in that way, too, and uh, slowly but surely uh, building relationships and a better business environment for for all U.S. companies. So uh, with that, I just wanted to share those uh, those ways in which we have engaged. And uh, obviously, for all that are participating in this call, it's difficult to know all the ways in which you can engage and make use of uh, U.S. programs. But if you reach out to a global Minnesota or the uh, U.S. Export Center uh, in, in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota has some of the best resources in the country, and that's the best place to start, and they can start to pull anybody in that's necessary uh, for your success. So thank you for that, and thank you, Mark. I'll turn it back to you.
1: Thank you, Daryl and Chris, and for giving us and all of the people viewing. I know we have viewers from Chicago and from all kinds of places. So um, these uh, external resources, particularly the commercial service, Prosper Africa, Power Africa, these are important things that are expressions of our knowledge, that uh, much of our future of our planet is in Africa, the future of technology, the future of certain natural resources. And so uh, it's very helpful to get your perspective. And obviously, for mere success, like the success of Donaldson, uh, is an important thing for people considering their business and how to develop a business plan for successful participation in the mining sector in Africa. But when you're participating in these kinds of international projects, there's a lot of issues and a lot of specifics. And we're very fortunate to have Steve Dickinson who co-chairs the international practice at Cozen O'Connor Law Firm. Uh, He's had um, decades of experience with various um, relationships and the things that need to be considered. And I wanna welcome Steve, and thank you again, Steve, for being one of the co-sponsors, Cozen O'Connor of today's program. And um, if you can unmute your microphone and your video, and I'll turn the microphone over to you. Very
5: good, thank you, Mark. And uh, it's a great pleasure for us, member of Golden Minnesota, and uh, I have been a personal member as well. I, um, the focus today is mining, but I, I do want to point out that there are lots of opportunities for U.S. businesses in Africa uh, that go far beyond mining. Opportunities in agriculture and in infrastructure in um, um, uh, power. Uh, so for instance, going back to the presentation of the slides from my friends at Vermeer, um, you know, one of those slides, the, the horizontal directional drill, is part of an infrastructure project. Uh, that picture of, of Darrell Baukamp um, in, in, in Africa, uh, in the background of that, you saw a picture of Vermeer equipment being used in connection with a, a solar panel installation. Um, there are lots of different applications and, and lots of different markets there that are, that are worth exploring uh, over and above the, uh, the mining industry. But with that, let's, let's talk about some of the mining issues and uh, broadly speaking, mining issues. Um, So for people that are interested in mining per se, um, each of the countries, not surprisingly, has its own laws governing mining. Um, The uh, opportunities are often done by an open tender bidding process. Um, You'll often find that it's desired or required that you have some kind of a local partner uh, in the project. Um, Green projects, to the extent that they're there, are, are definitely viewed favorably. Um, I have a client right now that is um, in the exploration process of a, a large chemical plant in, in South Africa, but it, is, it uh, uses for feedstock rather than petroleum. It uses, surprise, surprise, ethanol, <laughs> and, uh, and that is being looked at very favorably by the, the government and regulatory authorities uh, as, a, as a result of that. Um, be mindful of US laws as you're doing business. And for for uh, those of you like Bart that are you know located in Europe, obviously the, the European governments have similar laws, but uh, we have sanctions that limit in some instances who we can do business with or where we can do business. Um, we have occasionally export control issues that relate to the ability of the US company to sell its product or even transfer Um, even without a sale um, into uh, countries or to certain uh, organizations within countries. Um, And then of course, in uh, in Africa, but certainly not only in Africa, uh, there are questions of anti-corruption laws. Uh, We have the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We have a whole variety of anti-bribery laws, uh, anti-money laundering laws, and and a whole host of regulations. but also, uh, you know, think that the local country in which you're doing business has similar laws. Um, just as here, there are laws that regulate almost every aspect of business operations. So if you're going to have a business there, you have to operate it in accordance with those local requirements, tax requirements, requirements, which are often very different and, and significantly more onerous than what we have here in the U.S. And remember that in spite of what the people that are, you know, asking for money. um, Bribery isn't legal any place. And uh, you'd be not only violating US law, but violating local laws by by engaging in in some of the activities that you might from time to time be asked to engage in. Let's go to the next slide. Um, Another opportunity in the natural resource area, of course, is sourcing natural resources, not only minerals, but a whole variety of products that are manufactured in, in Africa. Um, so, no surprise to those of you that are that are in the business, supply chain quality and reliability are of paramount importance. Uh, the last uh, seven or eight months have, have driven this home to all of us, uh, to those of us who weren't thinking about it quite as, as much before, uh, but, um, It it has uh, increasingly become an issue uh, and and is definitely something that the companies are paying attention to and will need to continue to pay attention to uh, going forward. Um, In the mining sector, recognize that there are some specific uh, things that are out there, statutes, rules, et cetera, uh, with regard to what are referred to as conflict minerals, Uh, but it isn't only Um, And it isn't only the laws and regulations. I mean, there are customers uh, and customer, uh, you know, uh, activist groups, et cetera, um, that are are out there that are working on issues like this. For instance, just yesterday, I saw a story that Costco uh, had agreed to stop buying um, palm oil from a supplier in Thailand because there was evidence that the supplier was using of labor that uh, there are probably a lot of us who didn't realize that there was such a thing uh, and, and uh, are looking into the supply chain issues there to make sure that the products are being manufactured humanely before they agree to buy them again. Um, so uh, another example of that, maybe closer to home, uh, the whole issue with non-GMO, GMO products largely is thought to have originated because Tesco, the, the uh, English uh, grocery store chain, Started advertising that it sold non-GMO produce, and and uh, that consumers latched on to that, and and that in no small part has led to the preference in 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 some consumers for those kinds of products. So within the mining area, uh, at the federal level here, we have a requirement in the Dodd Frank Act that was passed back in 2010 that requires disclosure of certain aspects of, of, of supply chain with regard to certain kinds of minerals. Um, it, technically it applies to public companies, but you know, for those of you that are selling your product to a public company, uh, they then in order to comply with their obligations under Dodd-Frank are going to expect you to be able to comply as well. So I'm sure many of you are seeing this already um, as a result of, of those kinds of things. We have states and cities, California, Maryland, uh, some other places that have their own kinds of initiatives dealing with with these kinds of issues like conflict minerals. Uh, The European Union has a new set of regulations that goes into effect on January 1 that is similarly regulating the the conflict mineral areas. Other countries have laws, Australia and others as well. And the OECD, uh, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, has a whole series of recommendations that companies can look at for responsible supply chain management. Another aspect of this uh, that that I, I think, you know, hasn't necessarily been applied directly to the mineral sector yet, at least that I'm aware of, but is an interesting development that just recently, within the past month or so, the U.S. government imposed sanctions against raw cotton that is imported into the United States from China um, because of allegations of forced labor and human rights issues with the Uyghur population in, in Xinjiang. And that, in turn, has disrupted supply chains for a number of um, fashion companies and clothing manufacturers and that sort of thing here in the U.S. that had been sourcing cotton from, from China. And, and one might ask whether or not we could see those same kinds of things start being applied in other areas as public pressure or as political interest in some of these kinds of issues uh, increases. Let's go to the next slide, please. And then of course, for those like Vermeer or or Donaldson or others who are selling products in Africa as well as manufacturing them there. um, And and obviously this is a way that a lot more companies get started. Uh, before they start manufacturing there, they first want to develop the market by selling some product from here or from their manufacturing operations in Europe or or Asia or wherever. So, you know, as at these markets, as others, there are lots of different ways of reaching customers. Um, You can have sales representatives, sales agents, as they're often referred to dealers, Uh, like Vermeer uses and and Donaldson as well. You saw from the the map of the the dealer network that that Donaldson has. Um, Companies, of course, can their own local subsidiaries to manufacture product um, as Donaldson's doing in South Africa or in some cases to act as a company-owned sales office. And, And all of those things are possible. Every country and in some instances, even provinces or states within countries have their own rules and regulations that govern things like setting up companies and employment relations and, and and all of those kinds of issues, just as we do here in the United States. And so you have to be cognizant of, of the various issues that are there, um, particularly with, with appointing agents or distributors, be careful about the local laws that might make it difficult or expensive or both to terminate a relationship in the event that it doesn't work out and, and Think about whether or not there are ways of structuring around some of of those kinds of laws. Um, For your sales contracts, everybody hopefully is using a written contract. As my contracts professor in law school used to tell us, a verbal contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. And and, uh, make sure that you have adequate protections in your agreements. And just a couple of points without getting too far into the weeds, but understand that for those of us that are selling our products outside the United States, that there is an international treaty often referred to as the CISG, which is the convention on international sales of goods. And that is a treaty to which I think around 80 countries, including the United States are parties. Uh, Several African countries are are also parties to that. Some of the major U S trading partners uh, like Mexico and China are parties to that. And what that does is that it, it, performs a function similar to the Article 9 of the, or excuse me, Article 2 of the Uniform Commercial Code in the United States that governs contracts for the sales of goods. But it is different. It is based on international principles, which are sometimes principles that we have in the Uniform Commercial Code. And so, but but by, by a matter of U.S. law, because it is a treaty to which the U.S. is a party, if you're selling products to a a party that is in a CISG member state, then the CISG will by default apply to that um, and it will take precedence over the Uniform Commercial Code unless you have opted out of it. And, and just having the contract that says it's governed by the laws of the state of Minnesota or Iowa or Illinois or pick your state uh, does not sufficiently opt out of the CISG. You need to say more than that. Um, Another big issue that we run into is dispute resolution. Um, If you get a judgment against somebody in a US court and then you take that judgment to another country, it can be difficult to enforce that. Um, It can be dicey in some countries to pursue a claim in local courts. They may be inexperienced, they may be corrupt, they may just be overburdened and take forever to get your case heard or some combination of those factors. And a solution that, that many companies will consider uh, as a way of bridging the gap between those two issues is uh, using arbitration clauses. So the, the short version here is that whatever the kind of business is you're doing, if you're investing, if you're selling, um, you know, appointing people to act on your behalf in country, uh, all of those things have legal consequences and considerations. They have tax issues. Uh, they, there's a whole variety of things that need to be considered there uh, to, uh, to make sure that you don't end up with an unfortunate situation that uh, you know messes up your opportunity or costs you money or creates some other kinds of issues for you. So, um, again, like the others, I'd be happy to answer questions at the end. Um, and my contact information was in that first slide. Uh, and Mark and his team can can uh, get you in touch with me if you'd rather not talk publicly, but uh, have a question you'd like to chat about privately. I'm happy to do that. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much, Steve. And I think you've given us a kind of a big overview of things that for somebody who's thinking about taking advantage of this opportunity or to study that opportunity um, as we've been hearing about uh, lots of things that you pointed out need to be considered and your your experience and your law firm's experience is one of the um, places where people can get that kind of support. I wanted to... Um, ask a question of everybody so if you could uh unmute yourself and your camera but i want to know if any of you have uh seen or expect to see changes now that there is this new african continental free trade area this has come into effect because enough countries have ratified it's very early in the process but the expectations and the hopes are very high How are you seeing this, or what do you expect to see, and how might the viewing audience factor that into their consideration of opportunities that may be uh, expanding going into the future?
4: I'll I'll make a quick uh, first statement, and I'll I'll say maybe a bit macro uh, with with this. I think a, a free trade agreement like that uh, is gonna be very helpful, maybe not just in the immediate you know, future, although it does for 90% of the products, hopefully bring down um, tariffs between the countries and foster additional trade. But I think the the real benefit is over a five and 10 year span of time and what that better free flow of goods and services does, to the infrastructure and to the enabling environment, you know, to all uh, participating countries. Uh, If you can think about what increased trade forces companies or countries to do uh, to to improve their infrastructure, to uh, to handle the increased volume, what it does to telecommunications and demands of telecommunications to create a more robust environment to enable uh, connectivity. Uh, what it does for ports, airports, um, what it does for uh, demanding a sufficient and reliable and robust power sector. Uh, It has tertiary benefits uh, that come with increased trade, but you need some of these agreements in place to lower some of the barriers to trade first. And uh, we could get into the micro weeds with it, you know, industry by industry, but just on a macro perspective, What it does over a span of time is something that uh, is is very helpful for a regional um, uh, effect and uh, then has the ability then to draw further foreign direct investment and other tertiary benefits as well.
1: That's a really great point. We know from our own history when they built a rail line from east coast to west coast then lots of things could become happening so we know that infrastructure spurned by a number of things can then have its secondary effects. How about others? Have you been seeing uh, any change or anticipate them short-term, medium, long-term? Bart?
2: Yeah, I think uh, um, we haven't seen much change yet. But uh, in general, if, uh, if trade gets uh, simplified across regions, I think that that will be absolutely beneficial uh, to all of us to... Uh, uh, for customers, uh, for investors uh, for suppliers, uh, so I think that that is of course a, a
1: positive uh, a positive thing great any other observations, Basel, I know you 've been watching this pretty carefully from the point of view of the uh, African Union uh, and from the various diaspora communities. Um, can you hear me? Can you unmute yourself? Are you still there?
0: Yes. Uh, Mark, I, I am still here. Great. And Minnesota Africans United in the partnership with uh, the African Diaspora Development Institute that has contact with all talented African professionals around the world and African businesses that are actually there in the continent, looking for ways and possibility to partner with American businesses that have, they are actually looking at Africa as uh, the continent of the future to see how this both continents can come together and utilize and use the skills that are there or the skills that are here, particularly from people who have uh, who have the skills to provide guidance? Uh, who have other pro- good ideas in their minds, and they can always give feedback and providing access to more market, more project opportunities. We are there to really as the point where US company can rely on these resources to partner that to partner in a way that would drive. Um, economic growth uh, for the two continents. And that is one of the things that we are doing and uh, we are actually looking at how these presentations will start some next step engagement, uh, partnership and follow up about next steps and and how we can actually work together to make uh, uh, things possible for the two continents in terms of job growth, uh, financial advising, our technology skills that we do have, we have all kinds of skills embedded and compiled into our databases that we are ready to that are easily available to assess and that we want to make this available so that we can solve some of the challenges that you guys might have had and uh, to make this available. That is why we are here.
1: Well, Basil, it seems like today we had an opportunity to begin diving into this larger question. Uh, 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 Steve Dickinson from Cozen O'Connor talked about how some of these particulars are really applicable to other sectors. I mean, the whole notion that there are opportunities, you need to get to Africa if you can, but you need to see the opportunities. But once you start the process, there are many things that become possible. We've looked a little bit at what the implications might be with Uh, for an African free trade area that will facilitate commerce, facilitate flow of goods, that will begin to create some secondary and tertiary effects, effects that then require more infrastructure, things that connect us with roads, telecommunications, electrification. And we've heard from a couple companies that have very successfully uh, built a market Uh, They're global companies and one part of that is uh, being involved, but this sector uh, in Africa seems to be a growth sector. And I think that my uh, opening, I mentioned that we came to this um, idea to do this webinar because the government of Ethiopia has adopted a new law, a responsible mining law, it has a lot of very specific things. That they want to accomplish in the environmental side, on the social side, on the side about good governance, and they specifically wanted to know about partnering with Minnesota-based companies. That has to do with the fact that we're a very big mining state. Not always do we remember that, but it also has to do with the reputation the ethical and social mindedness, ecological and uh, environmental mindedness of our companies, but also the, the real uh, courage of our companies to be active and to be involved uh, in Africa and other parts of the world. So at the end of the day, um, there are uh, always opportunities and, and risk but Africa does hold the minerals and precious uh, metals that are the fundamental building blocks for not only the telecommunications that we rely on in our cell phones and the solar and the other green energy components, but it's also the crucial element in many of the medical device innovations that essentially is a core of our entire Minnesota economy. We have companies that make very specialized devices that improve and extend lives for many, many years, but they require very special things that largely will be mined in Africa. And so as we think about our shared future and the necessity of raw materials, minerals, metals, whatever, We have our own interest in mind in being more directly connected with Africa. We wanna keep our medical device industry able to source the products they need. And so there's a win-win element to continuing this conversation and taking it deeper. We're at the end of our time for today, but that mostly says to me that we are just beginning a conversation. And I wanna thank all of you who took time out to enlighten and educate us and all the viewers today. Uh, But I wanna warn you that I wanna keep educating and informing bigger and bigger audiences and deeper dives into a number of countries and a number of opportunities. And I will be calling on you again to see if we can continue this conversation with different Elements in different countries. I want to close out with a thank you, but I want to make sure if anyone has a final comment or something you want to um, uh, uh, Contribute at this last moment, please unmute yourself and jump in. I want to make sure you have the last word if you have something you want to share Basel Take us home.
0: Ah, thank you, Mike. And uh, thank you all these uh, 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 serious, hardworking, loving, heartwarming uh, uh, people of uh, uh, um, um, the American people. Uh, Africans love nice people. They love people that look at not only the United States, they love people that have soft heart for people that are struggling, who have their natural resources and they want to use these natural resources to advance the economic growth for people that do not have access to education, to healthcare, agriculture, and any other kind of necessity. We in Africa have in the past feel that we have been abandoned to China. We want to take that word back to make sure that we work more with the American investors so that together with the African continent, we can drive a tremendous agenda that works for everybody. That gives a child good water to drink, good quality healthcare, access to talented education. So we can use all these skills to benefit the continent of Africa and drive growth for Africans who are actually also working here in Minnesota that have received high class quality education from uh, US universities. We want to see how we can keep working together to take advantage of these talents, of these skills, um, high motivated professionals and take it back to Africa and let Africa use the company as now the new continent of the future to take advantage in driving economic growth that works for all. And I would just wanted to thank you and then to say, uh, this is a moment that we just started. We will keep uh, coming up with other future webinars with uh, Global Minnesota and other people that were not able to join us today. We ask you again to join us in our next webinar. And uh, we ask you to bring questions and we'll be able to see how we can shake hands and close some nice deals that will benefit our American citizens our companies, uh, Africa, uh, poorer people that uh, need your help. And this is a moment for me to say goodbye to all of you and may God bless uh, everyone on YouTube and on this Zoom and who is watching from all around the world. Thank Thank you you so so much.
1: much. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you again.